This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello. And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on charity donations instead of registries and whether this is a trend. Should you attend your sister-in-law's high school graduation? How to handle roommate recommendations for someone you had a bad relationship with? And a cell phone apology rule debunked. For awesome etiquette sustaining members, we talk about extra guests invited to the ceremony. Plus your most excellent feedback etiquette salute, and Dan takes us away with a postscript segment on the finer points of men's attire. All that coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. I'm Dan Post-Senning. And Lizzie Post is trying to steal my friend. No, I you you totally made that friendship happen, and now he's my house guest. He's my house guest. No, he's my house guest. Okay, can we share him? Yeah, we're going to have to find a way to share him. Our friend G is coming to visit in a few days, which will have happened by the time the show airs. But I thought that our conversation after our last recording about what nights G was going to stay at whose house was hysterical. It was so polite. It was. It was. Well, I just don't want him to impose on you and your new family. Oh, no, that's quite all right. Who would be welcome anytime? Yeah, yeah, but but maybe, you know, he'd like to be in Burlington where he could see a bit of the scene and, like, everything. And, and we've already talked about the things we're going to do, but I made sure to make sure that he would have time and a vehicle in order to get up to you to spend time with you because, you know, he's your best friend since college and I've only known him for a couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> and he probably would enjoy being out and about and on the scene, but I just want him. I know, but I want him too. <laughs> so how are we going to share? We're going to figure it out. We're also going to let G decide for himself. It's his vacation. Oh, that's right. I know. It's about the guests, not us. <laughs> Regardless, this is going to be such a great long weekend. Over Labor Day weekend, one of Dan's longtime best friends from college is coming to visit. And you he hasn't met your family yet. No. And through a number of kind of bizarre circumstances, we were very good even after I had moved away from California back to Vermont of scheduling a visit each year. And people who have listened to this podcast probably – remember in the early days of this show me talking about a certain visit where I would visit college friends at the end of each summer. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that particular tradition got interrupted by weddings and the arrival of children and honeymoons and business, all kinds of stuff. Jordy, for a number of reasons, wasn't able to make the wedding. He happened to be at a big family reunion in South Africa at the time. A reunion that I was invited to that for any other occasion besides my own wedding, <laughs> I would not have missed. Totally. So you're right. He hasn't – he's met Pooja, but not since we've been married and he hasn't met either of my children. I'm so excited to introduce him to everybody. And I also don't want to trap him on the top of a mountain with a nine-week-old <laughs> and a two-and-a-half-year-old and me. So I really appreciate you playing co-host on this particular visit. Oh, well, I really appreciated you basically, like, giving me the friendship that I have with G because he's been – he's someone that I connected with during a lot of my trips to California over the past year. And it's been really awesome getting to connect with 
him and becoming friends and having this buddy out in California for whenever I do head out there. And it's been really fun because he's been one of those friends who really does just pick up the phone and call. And you'll spend, you know, a half hour to an hour and a half talking to him. And he's so supportive and he's so encouraging. And he's just he's been a great friend in my life. So I'm really excited to have him come and hang out and kind of see all the things I've been talking about. And also, I worked really, really hard to get him to come out here because I thought it was ludicrous that he hadn't seen you in forever and that he hadn't met the girls and that he hadn't been to Vermont since he came and stayed here for a summer way back in your college days. Yeah. No, he spent a full summer with me at my parents' house as we were both working to make money for what turned into a year of backpacking around Africa and Europe and really sort of was the foundational event in a friendship that's now lasted 20 years. It's awesome. There is something else about Jordy Skirman that I wanted to mention while we're talking on this show, which is that he is the most well-mannered friend I have. It's an interesting combination, his personality, of fun-loving and very free and at the same time very proper. There's a sense of propriety to how he conducts himself and manages relationships. You mentioned his willingness to call and reach out. But there are all sorts of little social niceties and cues that he participates in that really make him a stable and good friend as well as a fun-loving free spirit. And I'm not at all surprised that you and he have clicked as well. Well, it's going to be a delight to have him. He and I are actually both on the same flight home from New York City, which we thought was bananas and are very excited about. So we might try and switch our seats so that we can sit together. Um, I will be in Charleston next week for a wedding planners event, which I'm really excited to go do. And then I get to kind of meet up with our our house guest and bring him on home to Vermont. Well, have fun down south. I will. (laughs) Good luck picking up G. Sweet. (laughs) And I can't wait to update everyone because by the time we air the next show, we will have had this visit. Absolutely. In the meantime, shall we get to some questions? Let's do it. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, Mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave. And if you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your social media posts so we know you want your question 
on the show. Sustaining members, remember to put Sustaining Member in your message. We'll answer your questions on the Sustaining Member site where you can access an ads-free version of the show and all your bonus questions. Our first question today is about charity donations instead of a registry. This question came in the form of a voicemail, and it's from Sarah. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. This is Sarah calling from Oregon. I have a question for you about wedding etiquette and a trend that I'm seeing. So I'm in my late 20s, and a lot of my friends are getting married, and also a lot of my friends live all over the country, and they have guests attend their wedding and travel long distances to get to it. So I'm noticing this trend where the couple explicitly states they don't want any gifts and they won't have a registry. And sometimes they'll link to a charity and recommending if the guests do want to give a gift, they say instead just go donate to one of our favorite charities. And I'm wondering if this is becoming kind of the new norm where couples aren't expecting gifts because they're having their guests pay a lot of money just to attend the wedding. Um, and I'm wondering when I get married potentially in the next couple of years, if that's something I should think about, if it would actually be rude to have a registry, even though a lot of folks are traveling from a really far distance. So I'm curious if you've noticed this trend and what your thoughts are. Thank you. Sarah, thank you so much for this question and way to be paying attention to what you're seeing happening out there in the world. We do not see this as a norm yet, but it's also not uncommon. A lot of folks feel that they have what they need or they see so much spending happening on the wedding for the reasons you suggested as well as their own spending on a wedding. And they would love to use the celebration of their wedding to give back to others or to simply make it an option. So we do see a lot of charities on registries. Um, So you basically have a charity registry as opposed to a gift registry. But there are some questions when you do something like this. While it's not rude by any means to do this, you do want to make sure you have some options for those who aren't okay with giving to a charity or who really do want to give you personally a gift. I think also we need to take into consideration that if the idea is to absolve people from having to do anything because they're coming from such a long distance, then requesting money from a charity isn't exactly doing that. It's it's actually still making them feel like they should give give money to your wedding in some way, shape, or form, even though it's then going to be moved on to a charity or, or passed through to a charity. It's really important that couples who choose to add charities to their registries or who choose to ask guests to donate to registries, um, that they have a variety of options and a variety of types of charities to be giving to. It's also always really considerate to say, or to the charity of your choice. I like that option. And the big reason that I like that option is that not everybody feels the same about every charity. For one person, a really great cause for someone else is something questionable or something that they're less comfortable with. So just giving someone the option of making a choice for themselves, if they don't happen to agree with your particular choice, is the easiest way to address that in a way that's comfortable for everyone. One of the other things that brides and grooms can remember to do to recognize the fact that so for so many people, almost every wedding is a destination wedding these days, is to thank their guests and really put a lot of emphasis on that gratitude. Don't just print out a card that says, thanks so much for coming, and then sign your names to it. Handwrite that card. Describe how wonderful it was to see the person. Recognize in that thank you note how much they made the effort to come to to you. Find ways to help guests not have to pay for lodging when they get there. I've, we had a great wedding uh, down in Marion, Massachusetts, where the hosts were able to find uh, friends and family to house the majority of the guests. Wow. So, yeah, it was really incredible. Now, that might not be possible for you or, you know, renting out Airbnbs for your guests might be too big of an expense, but it's something to consider. It's, it's a way that you can help, you know, anything you can do to help on transportation while they're in the town that you're getting married in. Anything you can do to help with lodging is great. It's not necessary. It's not your responsibility, but it is great. So 
big thank yous,、uh, lots of recognition for folks who have flown far or who you know really made the effort to come. Also, letting folks know that you completely understand if if they can't make it. That's really good. I have a friend who's getting married in South Africa, and she's my best friend. I really want to go, but the ticket might be just too much. And she has really made it clear to me that she's going to find ways to include me and to feel celebrated by me, even if I'm not there. And my goodness, does that it a makes me really want to make the、Aww. effort to come, and b it makes me feel like she really understands what she is asking of her guests, getting married in a place that's really far away from where. Most of her guests live. That whole spirit of wanting to take care of your guests, doing whatever you can to make them feel comfortable and at ease, really is the the heart of good hosting. And hosting a wedding is probably the biggest hosting job, or it's likely to be one of the biggest hosting jobs you're going to participate in. I would say as so. Someone throwing a wedding. The whole idea behind gift registries was designed to make life easier for a guest. So whenever we're talking about registries, I think it's really important to keep that original thought in mind. This is about making something that guests are thinking about, thinking of as something that they should do, if not something that they have to do, getting you a gift easier. So. In that spirit, I also want to suggest that if you're doing a charity registry or if you're recommending gifts to a particular charity, that you also think about some kind of physical registry for those people who say this is lovely, but I really want to get them something. I want to get them something that will remind them of this moment in their life. That'll be something that they keep and either use to start their life together or have for a long time. And those are all. Honest, genuine, valid thoughts that a guest might have that don't involve rejecting your idea of a charity or thinking it's a bad idea, but are in addition to or, or can run alongside it. And having a physical gift registry for those people to make their choices easier is a consideration that I think is worth holding on to. Absolutely, Sarah. Thank you so much for this question, and we hope this gives you lots of options when you're attending weddings. Do you think you can help us get married? Why I'm in favor of marriage. In fact, I spend a good deal of my time helping people to get ready for marriage. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott, or go full '90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Our next question is about flying back to the coop. Hello, I've always enjoyed listening to your insightful episodes. They are always helpful and practical. I'm excited that I finally have a question to submit. My husband and I moved a couple states away from our home and have lived in our new home for a few years. My husband's little sister will be graduating from high school in May of 2020. My husband and I have a somewhat strained relationship with his side of the family because of some past circumstances. We, of course, keep things civil and still try to make it for holidays when we can. My mother-in-law has already been calling and texting about us flying down for my husband's sister's graduation. It is very feasible that she will be very upset if we do not attend. My question is: How important is a high school graduation? I know it's special and meaningful, but should my husband and I feel obligated to fly several hours back home for a one-day trip, considering we have our own vacation plans, work schedules, etc.? I don't want to be unreasonable, and I don't want any ill feelings I may have for his family to blind my empathy. Is there any kind of etiquette that may dictate what to do in this somewhat tense situation? Any advice you may have would be greatly appreciated. Thanks again for all you do, Anonymous. Anonymous, thank you for listening and thank you for submitting a question when it emerged. We appreciate it. This show is driven by questions like yours. To me, this is a classic etiquette question in that it involves some gray area territory where there's not necessarily a right answer, but. As you point out in your question, there are some really important relationships involved here. There's sibling relationships, parent relationships, in-law relationships, spousal relationships. This is the good stuff, and this is also about celebrating someone's achievement. And in that spirit of celebration, let's first talk about the importance of high school graduation. I think it's a really important event. I think it's an important moment in someone's life. Oftentimes, it's the 
the real signal or the ceremonial moment when someone thinks of themselves as transitioning from childhood to adulthood, which is one of the biggest transitions someone's going to go through in life. Sometimes that moment is marked by a religious ceremony, a bat mitzvah or bar mitzvah, a first communion. Those are other – a quinceanera. Those are other coming of ages, a sweet 16 celebration. I'm going to not interrupt myself. Yeah. Those are other coming-of-age celebrations. For many, many people, the high school graduation is the big one, is the moment that that life change is marked. And having people there to recognize it and celebrate along with you is important. It's also the moment where a lot of young people are for the first time leaving their home, which I think also is a time to be encouraging of them. It's a big, scary thing to step out into the world sometimes, even though many, many, many who are 18 and on that that threshold of leaving are like ready to run out the door. Um, But I'm with my cousin on this 100%. I think this is a very important moment in this woman's life, and I think that it should be celebrated. Now, the question of whether or not you can or should go down and celebrate is a totally different question. And I'm glad that you asked it. I think that you need to think about this realistically. And I think that, as always, I'm going to give the encouraging language of every single opportunity, especially given that your in-laws are reaching out to you to come to this, is an opportunity to mend fences, to show participation, to really be there and show up as a family. And we all know that families do not always get along. And especially when it comes to in-laws, we often feel, oh, man, I love my partner, but their family. Ooh. And so it's and, and we don't know exactly how you feel about them, but you've described it as dense. So it's really important when you can to go and celebrate and support. And that goes a really long way with families, especially given that your mother-in-law is calling in August for you to be heading to something in May of the following year. I think you need to be realistic, though. Take into consideration your work schedule. Typically, graduations aren't happening during the weekdays, so my guess is that there's a good chance you might be able to make this happen within a weekend or only take half a day off of work. I also want you to consider the fact that couples don't have to go to everything together. Your husband might choose to fly down solo for this, and that might not only save on cost but allow you to to work in your work schedule, as you've mentioned, and allow him to participate with the family, I would suggest that you send a really gracious card with him from you directly to the graduate saying, you know, how much you are excited for her to take this next step in life. Those would be the ways that if you weren't there that you could make it work and your husband could still go celebrate his little sister, which I... I don't know the relationship between them, but my guess is that it would be a really wonderful thing for her to have her entire family there for this. I really like that reminder to send the card. It is a sort of a bare minimums in a situation like this where you are pretty close to the graduate and are a little distance away and might not be able to attend. I think that's a a really good sort of bottom line to have in mind as you think about all the options. I also like the way you're being practical. The possibility that this is just a day trip, you could say, oh, it's not worth it. You could also say, oh, that makes it not a big ask. In some ways, a short duration for a particular targeted celebration or event makes that family visit maybe a little more approachable, a little more doable. All you're really doing is showing up, maybe getting a good night's sleep, getting out to an event where there's a focus on a real guest of honor, a graduate, and you fulfill a lot of social obligations. You do a lot of relationship building in a pretty quick time. So maybe that's a positive. And who knows? Maybe you're out that night. Maybe it's the next day. But everyone could be really happy and could feel good about that. Anonymous, we hope this is encouraging whatever you decide. How do you go about being thoughtful? What do you do? Every time I try, I only make things worse. Is there some particular method of being thoughtful that works every time? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Our next question is about roommate recommendations. Hi, Dan and Lizzie. I hope this finds you well. I'm in a bit of a pickle and hope you can help me. A college friend of mine, Jane, is looking for two roommates and asked us to spread the word for her. Yay, social media. She recently heard from a college classmate, Anna, of ours, who is interested in renting one of the rooms. Anna and I were very close, but also had some serious conflicts during college. She accused me of trying to steal her job and called me some unkind names. It was a stressful time for everyone, and I chose to move past it. We continued to be joined at the hip after college, but as time passed, I eventually found that the friendship was taking a lot out of me and wasn't the best for my mental health. It was a difficult decision, but I slowly started distancing myself from her. We have little to no contact these days. Jane reached out to me and has asked for my opinion regarding her taking Anna on as a roommate. I now find myself an unwilling character reference since I don't have a glowing reference to give. I tried to give a non-answer by saying Anna and I aren't close anymore, but Jane persists. Do I warn her or do I make no comment? My mother suggested that I say we had our good times, but we also had some fairly serious conflicts. We are no longer close, so I can't comment on how much she has changed since college. Thanks for the help and for reminding me to approach everyone with consideration, respect, and honesty. Best stuck between an Anna and a Jane place. <laughs> stuck between an Anna and a Jane place. I have to be really honest. I think that your mom nailed it with the sample language. That I mean, just listen to this. We had our good times, but we also had some fairly serious conflicts. We are no longer close, so I really can't comment on how much she's changed since college. I added a really, but it's that is fantastic. It's giving someone the room to have grown and changed since you last knew them. It's recognizing that there was some value there, but that it turned sour and you had to, you know, no longer keep the friendship. I think that if Jane keeps persisting for more, you say, that's all I can tell you because what happened between Anna and me was really between us. And no matter what, you're going to have a different relationship with her. I think that's a good starting off place. I think it's a good I'm saying something, but I'm not saying too much. I'm going to let you interpret this a little bit. I think acknowledging those difficulties is in some way saying it's not all roses and sunshine here. And oftentimes that's enough. There's in the business world a certain coded language to the way references and referrals happen where people are looking for the glowing recommendation. And if it's all about their competency and their basic capabilities, it's almost like that neutral tone is communicating the negative. And in some ways you're playing that game a little bit here because you're not saying – oh, yeah, Anna and I were besties in college and I miss her so much. And if I ever had the chance to live with her again, I would do it in a heartbeat. Right. That gets her the apartment. Absolutely. It's really funny how friends really actually aren't always the best judges of who their friends would be friends with. I can remember going to visit friends from high school in our post high school years together. And, you know, someone would be like, oh, I don't know how you're going to get along with Jenny, for instance. And then Jenny turns out to be the person that I am like buddy-buddy with the entire trip, you know? And so you just, you never know who's going to click and why they're going to click. And I think you just have to allow for the, or why they're not going to click when you think that they will. Let's go the other way too and be honest. But I think that it's, it's one of those things you have to leave it up to them. And while Jane is clearly looking for input and help on this, I think just keep delivering this line that your mother has given you because it's really excellent, excellent. Excellent advice. And, you know, just keep being friendly each time you have to say it if, if you're being asked repeatedly and repeatedly for it and say, you know, this is just something you're going to have to figure out if you choose to go with this person and I will support you. I so like your reminder to allow for surprise. You really <laughs> don't know how people are going to mesh or jive or connect. I'm also thinking a little bit about making an allowance for sharing more if you're more comfortable. And I'm thinking about that moment when Jane says to you, well, what was the conflict or what happened or how was it that the difficulty presented itself? And no one would talk that way. But if essentially she's asking for that information from you, I think it becomes a tricky place, but one where you have to ask yourself how you're going to balance 
honesty, your desire to share and be open, but also respecting someone else's privacy, the etiquette guideline that you don't share a lot of negative news or gossip about people that aren't present. I think there are some ways to do that where you could reveal a little more, talk honestly about the difficulty or problems that you had, but do it in a way that's not distasteful. If these were going to be issues of safety, then yes, I would agree. Without exposing your actual stories, you might go up to that line of really saying, you know, I'll be honest, like this did wear on my mental health and I can't speak to what she's like now or what your relationship with her would be, but I had to distance myself from this person. But I also really, really think that it's important not to be sharing the stories that you had with someone years ago. And we don't know how many years ago this is, but it sounds like how when we're saying she's changed since college that we're now at least a couple years away. I think that you do have to be really careful about this because the other person may not be there to share their side of the story. You don't know if Jane is going to choose to ask her about this. And now you've also got Jane in the middle of past relationships between Anna and the question asker. And that just, it starts to become a lot of she said, she said, she said, she said. And it, the the reality is Jane has to make this decision for herself. So I personally wouldn't be going that direction. That is a potentially difficult conversation. Yeah. And I'm thinking of one major rule that might help you navigate that difficult conversation or make the decision about how much to reveal and what way to reveal it. Okay. The way that I would suggest holding yourself accountable is imagine Jane and Anna having a discussion about whatever it is you're going to reveal or talk about and talk about it in a way that you could own it moving forward, however that information is shared between them. Ultimately, you're breaking a social norm by talking bad about someone else, by revealing negative information or gossip about someone else. And because it's your experience, it's your choice. You get to decide how you talk about your experience and how you respond to someone asking you for your honest impression about someone that you had a relationship with by allowing in your own mind everything that you've said, Lizzie Post, about the time that they could change, the possibility that other people are going to connect in ways that you didn't with this person. I think you keep that openness in the discussion that allows you to communicate what your problems were without crossing over into that place where you're making assumptions about someone else, the way that they're going to be able to get along with someone or the inability of them to have changed or grown since then. And that's something that you kind of got away. And and I think the safest language is the language that mom gave us here. You just don't know how that conversation is going to evolve. I think it's a good idea to have some thoughts in case it starts to go somewhere. And as a really big reminder, too, you are going to know this situation much better than the two of us speculating on it. And each situation like this is going to be different. I mean, here we hear a mention of, you know, boy, it really put a strain on my mental health. For some, it might be, as we mentioned earlier, an issue of safety or a real issue of concern that you are going to want to bring up and say, there's always room for change and for people to grow, but this is what happened to me. And so, again, you are going to have to be able to balance this yourself and figure out how comfortable you feel with what you choose to expose. I really liked your language of, would you feel comfortable with the story then being told or repeated or if they had the conversation what could you live with, own, be responsible for in that? This is a really tough one, Anonymous, or actually stuck between an Anna and a Jane place. And we hope that whatever you decide, that you feel really confident with what you say and how you move forward. From your viewpoint, Ben is a, what was it? A creep? A screwball? Is he really such an undesirable person for the job? Do you really understand Ben Curtis? Our final question is titled, Cell Phone Apology Rule? What? This question begins, I've heard that etiquette dictates that if a person's phone rings during a presentation or interrupts a speaker, that the person should send the speaker an apology note and a gift card. I haven't found any information online that would confirm this quote-unquote rule or that would provide more details, such as a dollar amount. 
Is there a rule pertaining to this specific situation? I would also like to mention this is not something that I personally experienced. Thank goodness. Thank you for your time, Charity. Charity, I've got to thank you for your question and also say this is definitely a rule. And the minimum amount that you can send to the speaker who you interrupted with your cell phone is $100. But you can go up from there. Oh, you are so... You can definitely go up from there. This is manipulation. (laughs) My cousin, you are so funny. <laughs> so I guess it's really not a rule. Yeah, no, Speaker Dan, it's not a rule at all. Otherwise, rule? you and I would be so rich we wouldn't we wouldn't we wouldn't need to have sponsors on the podcast. Oh my goodness, this is definitely not a rule, Charity. Boy, wow, that that is someone. It's you know the the thank you note is is definitely something I could see getting rumor spread, but the gift card. So, like, if you're in a big auditorium at a conference and, like, you don't even know the speaker and now you got to send them a gift card. No, etiquette doesn't work like that. I could put a little dollar ticker up on my PowerPoint <laughs> and as they go off, I could just hit it and it would <laughs> the counter would climb. That is too too awesome. What do we think seriously, though, should happen given the situation? So you're either in a meeting or there's a speaker and a cell phone goes off. Obviously, it's an accident. While this isn't a new rule, what I'm loving here is the awareness about how rude it is to distract during a presentation, a talk, even an important meeting where somebody's got the floor And there's also an implicit awareness in this question that you apologize if you cross that line, if you violate that social expectation. And I could see somebody saying to themselves, oh, I didn't have a chance to apologize to that person. I should send them a little note of apology as a way to acknowledge or try to make better. The idea that you would add a gift card to that is really fun and funny to me, but I think also sort of indicates a a raising of the stakes, a wanting to make this right in some way. But it's certainly not an expectation and – and money doesn't make this right. That's the other – for me, that's where this gets like, ugh, tacky. No. Like, it really yes, – and like, I would advise against doing it, it for exactly that reason. Exactly. Is that it's like, no, it just – it's not the right equation here. We don't pay literally dollars for our mistakes in this way for a, what is oftentimes just a very forgivable, easy mistake. Speakers, we can definitely speak as being speakers that – um, happens. It happens. And we are very used to it, most of us. And for some, if this was the first time, I could see how it might be incredibly distracting and and might even really throw someone off their game. But that's why the apology gets issued. We fix this with our words. We do not fix things with money as well. We don't fix most things with money. And you also fix it by taking note and not doing it again. Right. That you really make an effort to turn off alerts, silence phones. The vibrating phone isn't a lot quieter than the ringing phone. If you really don't need it, you could turn it off or leave it behind as a way to really hold yourself accountable. To me, it's those steps moving forward, those future actions that prevent it from happening again that really show the genuine nature of that apology when it is offered. Charity, thank you so much for giving us a a, a delightful idea that Dan wishes he could implement, (laughs) but also um, to be able to dispel this etiquette rumor. Thank you for your questions, and please send us updates, comments, or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Instagram, we are at Emily Post Institute, and on Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette. And on Twitter, we are at Emily Post Inst. That's I-N-S-T. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your social media posts so that we know you want your question on the show. It's time for our feedback segment where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And today we have two pieces of feedback. We begin with some feedback from Maggie. 
Hello, Dan and Lizzie. Thank you for an amazing podcast. Your discussion about listener SL's question about handling birthday party invitations and non-invitations was detailed and considerate. I dealt with this exact situation a few months ago and thought I would write it to let your listeners know one possible solution to his or her situation. My husband and I were sending out invitations to my daughter's first birthday party, and due to venue size limitations, we were able to invite my cousin and her children, but not my aunt or uncle, the parents of the cousin. Our family has a tradition of large, welcoming parties, so this went a little against the grain to invite part of our family, but not everyone. We sent out the invitations and requested the RSVPs be made to my cell phone, so when my cousin RSVP'd yes, we took the opportunity to follow up and say, So glad you are coming. We wanted to give you a heads up that we weren't able to invite your parents because of the size of the venue. We're looking forward to seeing you soon. Likewise, the next time we happened to talk to my aunt and uncle, we mentioned, hey, birthday party is this weekend, and we are so sorry we couldn't extend an invitation to you, but we hope to see you soon. It was a very natural way to have the conversation with both the invited and non-invited guests to keep everything above board and hopefully make everyone feel included in some way. Hope this helps. Keep up the great work. Maggie. Maggie, thank you for the feedback. I love the way you talk to your aunt and uncle where it's not like you're sneaking around having a party, but we're having a party and we couldn't invite you, but can't wait to see you next time. I just love this whole approach. Maggie, thank you for the feedback. Our next piece of feedback I am tossing over to you, Chief of Handkerchiefs. Well, and this is a really great piece of feedback because it's going to take us right into our postscript segment, which I will tease now is also about men's attire. All right, awesome etiquette. I did some research on the handkerchief topic. My husband grew up in the Philippines and was required to carry a handkerchief every day as part of his school uniform. I asked him about it yesterday, and he sent me a pic of his on him so he still uses them regularly. He says if you hand it to someone, it's usually someone you know well and you don't expect it back, you wouldn't offer to strangers. Thank you so much for this awesome feedback, Anonymous. Thank you to everyone who sent us something. Please keep your thoughts and updates coming. You can send your next comment, question, or piece of feedback to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can also leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today we're going to talk about the finer points of men's attire. And I'm very excited to hear what my cousin has to say on this subject because he is such a fine dresser, but also because my first job right out of college in between college and Emily Post Institute work was working in high-end men's retail at Michael Kehoe's on Church Street in Burlington. Well, I want to lean on your experience just a little bit, so don't think you're going to escape that easily. All color commentarios. How's that? (laughs) That experience that you had doing fitting for suits, selling suits, and the things that go along with them is exactly the territory that I want to talk about today. All right. I don't want to talk about white tie formal. No. I don't want to talk about business casual. I want to talk about what many people think of as formal men's attire wearing a suit. Yes. This whole postscript was inspired by the handkerchief discussion that happened over the last couple weeks and that we've gotten a lot of feedback about. So my first big picture thought when thinking about suiting is that this is a pretty traditional garment in many ways and people are having a lot of fun with it today. It's getting more playful. People are taking creative approaches to suits. But your big picture thinking starts with that original formality, that more traditional suit, and then how you intelligently deviate and depart from it. So your standard suit, darker colors, gray, darker blue, worn with a button-down shirt and a tie, usually leather shoes and a belt that match in color. So brown shoes, brown belt, black shoes, black belt. That's your standard. That's your basic. And then as you start to push out in different directions, you can have some fun, but you want to do it intelligently and you want to do it in a way that's got some coherence. So there's a lot of different ways that can happen. First way? First way. Tie. Tie choice. (laughs) This is the item of clothing, the element of a wardrobe that some people say you would never catch me wearing a tie every day. I have no interest in that. It's just a terrible constricting, confining thing. When you're wearing suits and you're wearing ties on a regular basis, this is your flash. This is your flair. This is the splash of color. This is the choice that you get to make that shows some individuality. I was going to say, this is a bit of your personality coming through. I mean, people really choose ties to reflect themselves or the environment that they're going to be in for the day. 
think of it as a colorful scarf, not as a tie, if that helps you approach it with some fun. And there are choices that you can make about knots, about fabric, about color, pattern. There are so many choices that it's hard to say, oh, these are the good ones, these are the bad ones. Choose simpler patterns for more conservative situations. Choose flatter colors, deeper colors for more professional, formal situations. Get more colorful as you get more playful. Get more... Uh, bright and differentiated patterns as you get more playful and creative. I will tell you, my father, Peter Post, started in the more conservative tie category, even running his own advertising agency here in Burlington for much of his life. And then as he got older, he got much more playful with his ties. And it, it wasn't that he started doing like Rocky and Bullwinkle ties, but he found when he and my mom first went over to Italy, he found all these ties with these adorable little animals on them. So there were monkeys and there were rabbits and carrots and there were camels and there were all kinds of different things. And so he started this great collection of Italian ties that had little animal characters on them. And they were small and patterned. So from afar, you weren't seeing like, you know, a big rabbit and a carrot on it. But they it, we looked up close. It was like, oh, that's really cute. And he got a kick out of them. He really enjoyed putting them on each day. I'm imagining him remembering his trips to Italy as he wears them. That it. It's also got that personal connection, yeah. which is often a part of a tie. I like thinking about your father when I think about ties because he taught me my favorite tie knot. Ah, yes. He taught me that knot too. (laughs) It works great. It holds all day. You can structure it. It's not the simplest knot. It's not a full Windsor. You have a lot of choices between the sort of most basic tie knot that many people learn when they're in high school and they're wearing ties to school for varsity sports days or things like that. The knot knot clip on but the step up where you're actually tying it. (laughs) Exactly. All the way up to the full Windsor, which I don't necessarily recommend it starts to get a little big depending on the kind of collar that you're wearing then there are all kinds of creative knots that people play with i say just stick to a more traditional knot the tie itself is the flare that's my my advice or my tip and if you are doing a really creative or different knot think of that as your one departure element for an outfit that's your flare that's your spark What am I talking about with a departure element? I'm talking about all kinds of accessories that you can add to a suit, whether it's wingtip shoes or cufflinks or tie clips or a watch chain or a watch that's on display or a pocket square. The general guideline when thinking about these things is that you're going to choose one accent or flare element that when you start to layer multiple ones on, you're making more sophisticated fashion choices. And it's not that you can't do it, but you just want to really be thinking about it and doing it in ways that are coherent and make sense for whatever it is that you're doing, whether it's attending an event or just having fun. And you're not saying don't wear a pocket square and a tie, correct? No, but I'm saying be careful about pocket square and watch chain and cufflinks and tie clip that think about one or two elements at the most and that beyond that you're really starting to coordinate a whole ensemble in a different way. So at Michael Kehoe, we would also talk about balancing those elements. So maybe it's that you do have a number of the elements, but they're color coordinated well, but not in a super flashy way so that they don't all scream out to you at once. But you like looking at this person going, wow, they look really put together. I like that thinking that if you're going to do multiples, you coordinate them, tone them down a little bit. Other things that can come off as its own element, whether it is or isn't, your socks, depending on the cut of your pant, could be a whole other flare element. The color of your shoelaces could be a whole other flare element. Even just the cut of the jacket and the pants, if they're really tight or really baggy and big, I'm thinking in the 80s when the shoulder pads were popular, (laughs) or today where those high water pants, those pants that show more of the sock and are fitted very tightly to the leg are popular. Just the cut itself of a suit could be a whole flare element as well. The shape of the lapels, whether there is a peaked lapel, how broad it is. This is another element of the suit that gives you an opportunity to play around a little bit and is something that you can think about without going too far. I think another really good point is that when you do choose to to stray from the classics and the standards, you want to make sure it looks intentional. 
So, for instance, we recently saw a gentleman who was wearing cu- like cufflink shirt, which is already a fancy shirt, with a jacket and then shorts. But the the style and the quality of all these elements actually made it look very intentional. Like you wouldn't pull this guy aside and say, "Hey, buddy, like what are you doing?" You know, this was an intentional departure from from the standard, and I think that that's a really important thing to make clear when you do choose to make departures. Absolutely. There's always room for fun. There's always room to go overboard and over the top. It reads better if there's some awareness that lets other people in on the joke that you're telling. So there's not a lot of etiquette advice here. It's just a lot of thinking about the fun that you can have with men's fashion with a bit of a caution not to overdo it, but to enjoy yourself. Thank you so much for sharing, Cuz. Diving into the social swim is a lot easier than it seems. It's just a matter of following a few very simple rules of etiquette, a matter, too, of having a little courage. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. L&D. I like that beginning. I have an amazing salute. Yesterday, I took my three-and-a-half-year-old daughter to the splash pad at a park that's 15 minutes from our home. When we got home, I realized I was missing one of her water sandals. My daughter was upset. I decided it doesn't hurt to ask, so I posted on one of the local mom support pages in case another mom was there, too, and picked it up. A member of the group happened to live five minutes from the splash pad, So she just walked there, looked around, and found it. She quickly posted a pic of it, and we are coordinating the safe return of the shoe today. I wanted to give J.A., her initials, a big etiquette salute and thank you for taking a few minutes out of her day to help a mom carrying too much stuff. It truly made me feel warm, and there is a group of folks out there ready to help. You just have to ask. Yay. So I imagine parents you, you parents. I was going to say like parent going this is a great solution. But also new technology, right? a world where everyone's connected and a willingness to help on top of a really connected world like that makes it feel like a world I want to live in. Absolutely. Thank you for this salute and thank you to everyone out there who is listening. Thank you to everyone who sent us something. Please connect with this show and share it with friends and family and coworkers and anyone else who you think might like it wherever you cross their paths. You can send us your next question, comment, or salute by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. By phone, you can leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst and at lizzieapost. That's lizzie with an I-E. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. And on Instagram, we are Emily Post Institute. Please consider becoming a sustaining member. You can find out more about this by visiting awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com. You can also subscribe to the ads version of our show or subscribe a friend or family member to the ads version of our show on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And please consider leaving us a review. It helps with our podcast ranking, which helps new people find the show. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Thanks Chris, Chris and Bridget. Bridget.